The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Awesome. Well, it is, uh, it is good to be back with y'all today. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was, I was out of town last week. My, my family and I were on uh, vacation in the uh, tropical paradise that is northern Wisconsin. And, uh, and so we were, we were up there and, and we had a, a great time, but it is uh, good to be back with y'all today, and, and uh, good to be with you this morning. And uh, I just want to say, but before we get into our message this morning, I just want to take a minute real quick and, uh, and talk about um, Orlando. Because two weeks ago on the, the Sunday morning uh, that we found out about it and all went down, we didn't talk about it up front at all, uh, and I apologize for that. That wasn't intentional. Uh, we just, I honestly didn't really know about the severity of it until after worship that day. And so we didn't talk about it, and then I was gone last week, and so we didn't talk about it then, and, and I don't want us to just skip over this. Um, I think there's a really clear scriptural call for us as Christians uh, to enter into the brokenness and enter into the suffering of people in our world. And, and so I want us to do that, to, to take time to mourn with those who mourn. Uh, and so we're just going to take a little bit of time here to, to create some space to do that, because the reality is it's a, a tragedy that 53 human beings who were made in the image of God with value and worth and dignity uh, were, were senselessly murdered. And so I don't know, you know, how do we respond to that, right? Like, it's like another tragedy. And so I just want to offer maybe three things that, as the church, we can think about doing in the midst of this. And so the, the first thing uh, that I'd encourage us to do is to serve however we can. I know we're far away, and so maybe there's not that much we can do. Uh, but if giving blood, if they need that, awesome. If giving money, folks need that, we can do that. If uh, contacting friends that you have, in the LGBT community and saying, hey, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. We don't have to agree on everything, but this is a senseless tragedy and we can reach out in love and do that. Second thing that I think we can do as Christians is to not say anything stupid on social media, right? That's pretty easy, don't do it. Uh, Third thing we can do, and perhaps most importantly, uh, as the church, we have a unique position in this and that we can pray. We can pray for comfort, we can pray for peace, we can pray for God's healing. Uh, we believe it works. We believe that God listens to us. He tells us he does. And so it's important in moments like this for us as the church in our country when people are hurting so much uh, for us to talk to the great healer. And, and so I just want us, before we even get into the message today, this has nothing, amazing, uh, this has nothing to do with uh, what I'm talking about today, but I just want us to, to take a minute and go before God and pray. So uh, I'm going to invite you all, if you want to pray quietly in your seats, you can do that. If you want to pray out loud with people next to you, you're, you're welcome to do that too. But let's just take a minute and pray for healing in our world, healing in our country, and especially for those uh, who've lost loved ones recently. Lord God, it is uh, hard to see some of the things that we see in our world. And it's hard to see so many people hurting in our country. And so God, we just ask for your healing. We ask for your presence. We ask for your grace in our world. 
And Lord, as uh, the, the ancient church cried, uh, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come that, that you would heal all things, that you'd restore all things. May we not take hope in ourselves, but may we take hope in you, trust in you. Lord, we ask for, for peace in the midst of a, a storm that we live in right now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, taking part in that time with me. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to get into the, the message. Uh, and so as we get into it, let me just remind you of, of what we're doing this summer. We're in a series called Frequently Asked Questions. And so what happened was about a month ago, I asked you all to submit questions for a couple weeks. And then uh, each week we've spent time kind of digging into these sort of bigger questions that, that folks have had about life, death, Bible, God, all sorts of things. And so we've covered uh, questions about death, questions about world religions. Last week, uh, Dr. Grant Carey shared with us about questions that folks had about Christian denominations and how that worked. Uh, today, uh, we're going to look at questions on election. Uh, and again, I've said this before, it's, it's not a political election, okay, but it's about God's election uh, unto salvation, about his people, his election of his people uh, for salvation for eternity. Sometimes it's called predestination, that, that God chose people for salvation. And, and so we're going to talk about these questions, and the, the two questions that came into me that sort of sparked this message are these two, uh, was if we are chosen and elected by God, how can God say that he wishes all would be saved? And then the next one uh, that's similar to it is in the story of Exodus. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so did Pharaoh have a choice in that, or is he just kind of doomed from the get-go? If you know the story of the Exodus, that's what happens is it says God hardened his heart. Uh, and so we're going to get into some deep water this morning. I'm just letting you know. Uh, so I just hope you can hang in there with me. I'm sure you will. Uh, you're a bright bunch, and, and hopefully I won't be too boring. Uh, and so as, as we dig through this text, uh, what we're going to see is it's going to guide us in three ways. All right? It's going to show us a, a bigger view of God, and then it's going to show us the problem of election, and then it's going to teach us how to live in the assurance of our salvation. All right? So it's going to show us God's view, the problem of election, and the assurance of our salvation. All right? So, so let's get going. Um, our text today in the book of Romans, God's view is what we're going to be looking at. And our text today, it, it comes really in the middle of an argument uh, that the writer of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, was doing. So the Apostle Paul, for the first 11 chapters of Romans, what he does is he argues, he is this long argument about the nature of salvation. And the general gist of his understanding of what salvation is, is that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right before God. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves before God. He says, listen, we're all sinful. We're all born enemies of God. We're all dead in our sin. Every single person. But then Paul's point is that God in his grace sent Jesus to the cross to pay the price for our sins, for our rebellion against him. And now, he says, those who trust in Jesus Christ... Their sins are forgiven, they're made right with him, and by the power of his resurrection, they're given new life with God. And so his whole argument, the first part of this book, is that our eternal salvation has nothing to do with what good deeds we do or don't do. It has nothing to do with keeping the Ten Commandments or anything like that. Our eternal salvation has nothing to do with that. It's all about God's grace. It's purely an act of God's grace, and through that we receive faith. And so that's been his argument, but then we hop into our text for today. And he starts off as if he's anticipated a question from his Jewish friends. And we've got to understand that the, the Jewish folks, they're the chosen people of God. 
in the Old Testament. And so where we're at in Romans 11, it's as if Paul is anticipating them saying, well, hey, you're talking about salvation, God's grace coming just by faith, but, but what about us? Do we get in on that? Like, for millennia, we were God's chosen people just because we were. Like, we were the nation he picked, and that was that. So do we just, na- do we just get in however we want? Just because I, I was born in this national heritage? And Paul's answer to them in chapter 11 is basically, no. No. He says, God's creating a new people. God's creating a new Israel. And it's not about national identity. It's about having faith in Christ. And so he, he tells his Jewish friends in verse 2 of our text, we're not going to read it, but he says, he says basically, listen, it, yeah, you, you want to be part of the new Israel. It has nothing to do with your national heritage. It has everything to do with your faith in Jesus. So you want to be a part of the new people of God? You get to do it the same way as everyone else. Put your trust in Jesus. And so then he gives them an example of how God works. He reminds them of a story of the prophet Elijah uh, in the Old Testament. And we're going to look into that. So he, he quotes Elijah. Elijah thinks that, that God has forgotten him. And, and so then Paul quotes Elijah in our text. And he says, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so Elijah says, hey, God, I'm all alone. I'm the only one left. And God, in his grace, says to him, no, you're not. He says to him, I have kept for myself, I've kept for myself 7,000 people who still trust in me. Now here's what I love about this text. See, what Paul's doing, what he's saying to his fellow countrymen, and what he's saying to us today by just referencing this, this moment in Israelite history is he's saying to us, listen, you, you think you know more than God sometimes. You don't. He's saying, listen, you think you've got him perfectly mapped out how he works, the way he wants to do things in this world. You think you understand how it all works. The answer is you don't. He's saying, listen, your perspective of him is finite. It's small. You've got to trust that he knows more than you. It reminds me of when uh, I was uh, assisting a pastor uh, teach confirmation while I was in seminary. And, uh, and the pastor was, was teaching this confirmation class, junior high students, and their parents were there too. And so he started the class off, and this is what he did. He, he had like papers and colored pencils and markers and all this stuff. And he just got up front and he said to everyone there, he said, hey, I want you to draw a picture of God. Draw a picture of God. So everyone, that's all he gave. So everyone gets to work drawing a picture of God, and, and you had uh, some folks that just drew like a triangle and wrote Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, you had some kids draw a picture of Jesus. You had some folks do the guy with the big white beard in the clouds. Uh, There's someone who drew a, like a king. Uh, my favorite one was this, this one girl. She just took like all these colored pencils and just did all this massive scribbling, and then she wrote on top of it, blob o godliness. And I'm like, awesome. Uh, and so, so that was it. And so, so they all sort of uh, talked about some, some key attributes about how God has revealed himself to us. And so I'm in this class, and I'm in seminary, uh, which meant I was a know-it-all prick. Uh, and, and so when it was my turn to, to share my drawing, uh, I drew this. If you can see it. I don't know if you can. All right, so this was my drawing of God. That's what's going on upstairs, all right? And, uh, and so let me just uh, explain it a little bit. Uh, to you. See, this, this whole picture is meant to represent God, but this here, just this little section here with the cross, that's what we know about God. 
And so uh, even though I wasn't asked to do this, I took my piece of paper out and began to teach the class, uh, which I'm sure the pastor just loved, uh, about, about the hidden God and the revealed God. It's a theological concept that is really simple, and it's true. It just goes like this. God's bigger than we understand. He's bigger than our finite human reasoning can grasp. There's more about him that we don't know than we do know. Right? So what we do is we recognize this is the revealed parts of God, though. There's aspects of his character and who he is that he's chosen to show to us. He's chosen to reveal to us. And so uh, that's my little symbols there, that he's revealed himself to us in his word, in the Bible. That he's revealed himself to us in creation to a certain degree. That's, that's a tree. Um, that's, that he's revealed himself to be love, and he's revealed himself to be the Trinity. But most importantly, he's revealed himself who he is, his character, his nature, uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. But beyond what he's revealed to us, beyond that sliver, there's so much about God that we just don't know. How he works in the world, what he's doing day in and day out, we just don't know. And that may be frustrating to some of you. And so let me just maybe help with that a little bit. Uh, the uh, the uh, ancient church father, uh, the bishop, St. Augustine, uh, he said this. He said, to be human is to have your face shoved up against a stained glass window. And he said, as a human, your face is shoved up against a stained glass window. And so you can see some color, but mostly you just see broken glass. And that's our perspective. He says, but God sees the whole window. God sees all the pieces together. And so with that in mind, what we want to do today is really look at the color that we can see and talk about that as best we can. All right, so let's, let's get into the, the problem of election. All right, so, so if you would look with me at verses 5 to 6. It says, So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. All right, so Paul has said so far in our text, he says, hey, God reserved a, a remnant of faithful people at the time of Elijah in the Old Testament. And now in these verses, he says, and now at this time in the new covenant, God is reserving a remnant of people to be saved. And how is this remnant how does, it, how does it come together? How is it chosen? How does this people come together? He says, they're chosen, verse 5, by grace. Not by human works, not by anything we do, but purely chosen by God's grace. That God says, you're going to be mine. You're going to be my people. Now, this is a, a beautiful truth that's testified throughout Scripture. This idea that salvation is purely a gift of God. 100% His work. 100% his effort. That the fact that any of us believe in him, the fact that any of us know who Jesus is, that we're made alive in Christ, the fact that any of us are forgiven and redeemed and restored is purely because God chose us. The fact that anyone is a Christian is an absolute miracle. You didn't figure it out. It wasn't because you were raised in a Christian home. You're a Christian. You know Jesus because God chose you. You didn't find God. He found you. That's what Paul's saying here. Scripture says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead. Dead people don't do anything. 
they are dead. Okay? But God made us alive in Christ Jesus. The only reason any of you know the hope of Jesus is because God chose you. And that's amazing. An amazing truth. It really is. Here's where the problem starts to come in, though. Look with me at verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. And so what the rest of this verse is saying is that, that God, in his grace, chooses people to be saved. But we look around us, and Scripture tells not all people are saved. So we're starting to see a problem here. And we see at the end of verse 7, why is that the case? And Paul says end of verse 7 is because the rest were hardened. That for some people, their hearts are hardened towards God. And so one of the questions that came in was, well, Pharaoh's heart was, was hardened. Did, did he have a choice in that? It says really clearly in Exodus uh, chapter 6, nope, 9, that, uh, that, that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So do you not have a choice in that? Did God just like kind of condemn him from the get-go? Well, what we actually see in the story is that God doesn't harden Pharaoh's heart until after the sixth plague. Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and God hands him over to it. That six times God has said, listen, I'm bigger than you. I'm more powerful than you. Let my people go. Turn to me. Repent. Come back to me. And again and again and again, Pharaoh says, nah, 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 I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Hardens his heart towards God. And so God finally says, all right, have it your way. It reminds me of the, the famous C.S. Lewis quote in his uh, sermon, The Weight of Glory. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. So, so far, logically for us, Election isn't a problem, okay? You guys all track with me, by the way? I know we're a little in the weeds. All right, so logically, election isn't a problem yet. Uh, like, if this is all Scripture said about salvation, uh, it, it's pretty clear. If this is all it said, it'd be really clear that God just likes some people more than others, and so he chooses to save some, and others, he allows them to harden their hearts. Boom. Done. We may not like that, but at least logically, we can comprehend it. Here's where it gets really tricky. Because that isn't all that Scripture says about salvation. Look with me at 1 Timothy 2, 3-4. through 4. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so it's pretty clear in Scripture that God wants all people to be saved. And so let's put these pieces together. Let's, let's combine this together. We've noticed salvation is 100% an act of God's grace. It's all Him, none of us. And God desires that all people are saved. And yet, not all people are. Do you see the problem? Okay, we call this the, the crux theologorum. 
uh, the, the cross of theology. I was really excited when these questions came in because I was like, I'm using that word. Uh, and so, so we, well, this is the cross of theology. It's, it's, and throughout the centuries, theologians have tried to resolve this tension. Why some and not others? Who wants it all? Why isn't it all? And so on the one hand, uh, some theologians have said this. Hey, listen, it's, it's really clear that God chooses to save some people. That's really clear in Scripture. And so then they say, well, logically, if he chooses to save some people, that must mean he chooses other people to be damned. Here's the problem with that. It doesn't say that God chooses people to be damned anywhere in Scripture. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that. It's just not there. And in fact, it says clearly that God wants all to be saved. And so if you go that route and you say, hey, he just chooses some people to be saved and some people to go to hell, and that's that, if you go that route, you undercut what Jesus did on the cross. Because instead of Jesus dying for the sins of the whole world, Jesus ends up just dying for the elect, for the chosen few. But the reality is Jesus came for the whole world and desires that all would be saved. And so we can't go that way, right? And so other theologians have said, you're right, we can't go that way. Not going to work. So let's not pin it on God Let's not pin it on God. Let's pin it on humanity. It just comes down to free will. That, that you can choose to embrace salvation. That you can choose uh, to embrace what, what God has done or not. If you go that route, what you end up doing is you undercut grace. Grace says salvation is purely a gift of God. But if you're saying, I, I can choose it or not, what you're doing is you're saying, listen, I found God before he found me. I figured it out. I said yes to God before he said yes to me. I did something to merit my salvation. And that's not grace. And so we can't go that way either. Okay? We see the track in here? Okay? So this is an issue. So what do we do? Well, we're stuck with the word that we use a lot around here. This is an antinomy. It's a paradox. It's an unresolvable tension. Is light waves or particles? I don't know. It depends how you look at it. It's both. And so what do we do in this tension? Like, like how do we, like we can't resolve it, so, so what do we do? What we do is we find assurance in the revealed God. We find assurance in the revealed God. We find hope in what we do actually know in what he has shown us. I don't know how these two truths that are clearly at odds with each other actually work out in God's economy. It makes no, I have no idea. But I'm going to bank on who he's revealed himself to be. Because we can't speak where scripture doesn't speak. Right? Our face is against the stained glass window. We just see color and broken glass. But the color we see is a God of grace. The color we see is a God who looks at each one of you gathered here this morning and says, hey, you, you maybe have made a big mess of your life. I still love you. And he looks at somebody this morning and says, hey, you may have been a really big jerk this last week. I'm still for you. Who says, you may think I want nothing to do with you. And he says, but I'm already with you. And he may say, say to some of you this morning, you may be running as far away from me as you possibly can, and he's saying, I'm coming for you. I'm pursuing you. 
Like, I, I can't fathom all the ways that God's works, but what he's made clear in Scripture is that he seeks after his people. And that if you've put your faith in Jesus' work for you, it's because his grace before the foundation of the world said, that kid's going to be mine. Look with me at Ephesians 1, 3-5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. How amazing is this passage? How amazing that before the foundation of the world, before anything was set in motion, God had you in mind. Like knowing everything you've ever done, knowing everything you're ever going to do, Before the foundation of the world, God looked at you and said, no matter how much it costs me, even if it's the death of my own son, I'm going to call you to be my own. You're going to be my kid forever. Does that truth not just like blow your mind? It's amazing. I think about it like this. Uh, My my best friend from seminary, uh, Josh, and uh, and his wife Jenny, uh, they spent some time uh, working at an orphanage in Uganda when, when they were younger. And, uh, and while they were there, they, they met a little girl there. Uh, she was a baby at the time, but they met a little girl there named Rose, uh, who they decided, we want to adopt this kid. One day we want to adopt her. And, uh, and Rose is, is HIV positive. And so not only did they want to adopt her because you know, she's an orphan, but, but also because they wanted to bring her here so she could get better medical care uh, for, for her disease. And so a couple of years ago, they, they got to work doing whatever they could to, to get little Rose over here. And so they raised a ton of money, and they filled out the mountains of paperwork that's required. And they did everything they could to, to get ready to, to bring this, this sweet little girl home. And then finally one day they got the phone call that they could go and get Rose. It was so exciting. So my buddy Josh, uh, they had three little kids already, and so my buddy Josh got on a plane, flew over to Uganda, gets there, goes to court, and they say, hey, all right, you get to have Rose. And so for, for that first day, uh, my buddy Josh was playing with his new daughter, and she started to call him dad already, and, and it was just like this really beautiful thing. And then the next day, the court said, oh, we're just kidding. We're taking her back. And so Josh didn't know what to do. He's in a foreign country. doesn't know how this works. And so he, like, is working it at the courts, talking to any legal folks he knows out there. And he spends two weeks doing this, but he's in the midst of trying to plant a church in Tennessee at the same time. And so he eventually had to go. And his wife, Jenny, was going to come over and continue to do uh, whatever she could to, to bring Rose home. And before Jenny left, uh, she texted my wife, Melissa, and I. And she sent us this text. And I've actually I've saved it on my computer. This is two years ago. But I saved it on my computer because I just thought it was so beautiful. She said, uh, it pains me to say goodbye to my other three babies. But I have to go to Uganda and pick up my fourth one. And, and so off she goes, and, and she leaves her family. And it took her three months of living there with her three little ones at home, doing whatever she could to get Rose. 
cost them a ton of money. She was away from kids in a country she doesn't know that well. But eventually, after three months, she got to bring her home. I think I have a picture of her. All right, so there's Rose and Jenny. And she got to bring her home, right? Now, I tell that story, like, does that kind of love, like, move you, right? Like, is, is that kind of love just sort of, like, break your heart? Like, is anyone a little misty? Man, do you get it? Like, that's the sort of love that God has for you. That sort of costly love that I'll do anything to bring that person into my life, that it cost him everything, the sort of love that God showed by sending Jesus to go to the cross that you might not be separated from him, the kind of love that Jesus showed by being, giving of himself completely for you so that you could be with him forever, that before the foundation of the world, God knew all that it would take to bring you to him. He said, worth it. Worth it. You're mine forever. So friends, we can't, like, we can't know everything about God. But we can celebrate the incredible grace and love that he's shown us in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, there are ways that you work and things you say and, and that, that I just don't understand and we don't understand. But Lord, we also know that you've made some things really clear to us. That you're good. That you're loving. That you're gracious. And so Lord, we look to that. We cling to that. We thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.